Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. My guest today is Darla Farmer, Hope for Three. Welcome in, Darla. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, let me set this up for the audience. Okay. Darla is an expert on autism. She started a nonprofit dealing with autism. She is sitting there going, why in the hell am I on an energy podcast? <laughs> It is the number one rated energy podcast. I will say if I'm Excellent. if I if I'm if I'm you know patting myself <laughs> on the back. But so Darla, I sent this to you, but I'll just say it for the audience. Sure. Is about two weeks ago, Colin McClellan, the CEO of Digital Wildcatters, mm -hmm. had a knock on his door. It was a young man who clearly had autism of some sort, thought he was being chased by a woman that was gonna kill him. Colin brought him in, calmed him down, kind of gathered the situation, called the police, got the police to come out. Nice. Police officer that came out was a really good guy. So yeah. this is not um, in any way, shape or form an attack on the police, but clearly didn't know how to handle the situation. Sure. Turns out when they kind of got the kid calmed down, went through all the facts, turns out this was somebody scamming a kid. The kid had been advertising, hey, hire an autism uh, an autistic kid to mow your lawn sure. and he was getting scammed. And so Colin put out that tweet, got a lot of likes, a lot of engagement, a lot of direct messages, private messages to Colin saying, thank you so much for doing that. So we really appreciate you coming on because sure. we need to know about this. Absolutely. So tell me about autism. Tell me about the situation. What do we need to be thinking I leave it to you. Well, kudos to you and Colin both for um, helping give, us. Raise don't give Colin kudos. <laughs> It'll only go to his head. But Well, thank you for raising, helping us generate awareness about autism. It is greatly needed, but also um, for Colin to have enough, I guess, energy to locate, to contact the police and help this young man out. So we, we appreciate that. I guess what you could start with is with the autism community, there are so many... Um, Things that aren't known, that people look at all individuals as rain man. That's not the case. There are different levels of autism. Um, they've taken away the DSM-5 in the legal language, if you will. But it can range from very mild, which might be just some social problems, but married, drive, date, you know, live a normal life. It might have a few social problems or, or things along that line. Um, I hate to I hate to say this because this this is going to sound negative. I don't mean it to, but sure. maybe somebody's just slightly odd. odd. Yeah, is unique. that kind of a unique? unique. There I you like go. that. There we go. <laughs> unique is the word. Um, so then you might have an individual middle middle level of the spectrum, if you will, and that could be a person who needs some support, um, possibly nonverbal. About forty percent of all individuals with autism are nonverbal but can still kind of function and, you know, dress themselves and eat, but may need some support and potentially have some regular education classes so long. Then you might have an individual that's on the lower end of the spectrum that perhaps um, has no life skills, will always need support. And so it's, it's an odd disorder that we don't know the cause, we don't know the cure, but it is very, very treatable. 
and it is, it can, you can live a normal life. But what people don't recognize or realize is our individuals, their brains are wired differently. So what might be common and normal to you and I is not common to them. As an example, um, see, it's very quiet in here, right? Okay. okay. Yeah. Doesn't bother me, but right. I hear that light humming a little bit. You hear that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Person with autism, it might be whoosh, 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 extremely loud. Um, they don't right. always understand okay. yeah. normal things right. that are this, okay, what yeah. are common okay. to you and I. Sensory disorder is a big part of it. Like I was just giving an example of the sound, the lights, things along that line. So a person with autism, such as in this case with this young man, obviously he's a go-getter. He's trying to earn his own money by mowing lawns, um, doing a good job, but he doesn't understand how people can intentionally, not unintentionally, take advantage of him because of his weaknesses. So by him advertising that he was autistic, unfortunately, someone cruel took advantage of him. Now, when you first meet a person with autism, typically they look just like you or I do. You can't see any exterior differences like a, an individual with Down syndrome or, or some other differences or, or challenges. So you don't know that they're autistic or have some challenges until you witness a behavior. A behavior is a form of communication. So this young man um, obviously was taken advantage of very cruelly. And when the officer, when Colin got the police on board and got them involved, they obviously were not educated on autism and what that looks like. So they didn't know how to help him. Um, they couldn't understand why he kept going back as an example, why he kept taking these calls. And I think you also shared with me, he kept giving them credit card, um, excuse me, eBay cards. So he didn't understand the difference in 100%. All he knew is somebody is threatening me. I've got to do what they say. So he didn't quite understand that bridge between right and wrong, the good, the bad. And so the officer obviously didn't either. No offense to the officer, because we work with, in Fort Bend County, we work with police officers once a month going in and training them on the characteristics of autism and engagement strategies, not knowing where this gentleman, you know, lives or where he was from. Obviously, they've not received that training. It is so crucial. The program's called Crisis Intervention Training or TMR training, but it's a specialized group of 10 individuals or more that's a team within a police officer that can respond to mental health crisis as well as autism. Well, let's, can we do this? Can we do a mini version of that training right here and now and maybe start with characteristics? So I meet sure. somebody, what are characteristics I'm looking for uh, to know that someone's possibly autistic? Sure. Well, some might be, they don't know social distance, facial cues, emotional cues. They can't read. Like you and I know, I know if you're sitting here when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're aggravated, they might not recognize that. So they don't always know to how to react in certain situations because they don't understand facial cues or emotions. That's one red flag. Okay. Another red flag is many, many times they won't look directly at you in the eye. And we have found out through videos and some other autistic individuals that they take a thousand pictures of your face at once. And so they're not always going to look at you. They're going to look away. 
very, very common characteristic. Um, another could be, as we were talking about the sights, the sounds, sensory overload, huge and common, very common characteristic of autism. So what might be normal to you and I in sound or sight or smell is totally overwhelming for a person with autism. So I give an example when we're teaching. Um, if an officer was to go up and tap on a driver's window and he's not looking at you and he's fidgeting, another characteristic, a lot of times individuals like to be on the same routine, same schedule every day, all day. You get them out of that routine and you're going to see what? A behavior. Because my behavior is way of letting out that anxiety. So if he's knocking on the window, I'm not looking at you. I'm fidgeting because it is now 12 o'clock and I'm supposed to be at work at 12.01. Now all these sights and sounds, these, these, the car, the noise, the cars, the officer. You're going to do what? This officer is going to think, what the heck is wrong with this guy? He won't look at me. He won't roll down the window. But in his head, I'm late. You've interrupted my schedule. This light is too much. That siren is too much. That could turn into a very bad situation very quickly. That's why it is so important that we get our officers educated, our first responders educated. Um, we also found out, not to change the subject, but um, fire departments get no training on mental health. There's a few uh, modules they can watch, but they get absolutely no training on mental health. That's not right. That's, yeah. that's wrong. <laughs> right. So we've got to change that. And we're, we're working on that from our organization. But I think if people understood and were less judgmental and accepting and were just more aware of autism, they want the same things you and I want. They want to be for, have friends. They want to be invited to birthday parties. They want to be in social groups. But they're awkward. They're a little um, different. They're uniquely we talk a lot on my podcast when we when we venture into mental health type stuff. Big word we use all the time is just be curious. Don't right. be don't be mad, don't be judgmental. Let's be curious. Huh? My my priest Patrick has made a and he's an eccentric fellow <laughs> in his own right, but he's made a couple of appearances on the podcast and his his question is always, "Huh, what's that all about?" You know, so I almost hear what you're saying is, you know, I go tap on the window as the police officer, somebody's fidgeting, being awkward. It should not be a assumed. Yeah, it should not be assumed. It should not be threatening. It should be. OK, what's this about? Ah, absolutely. And what I tell them is that should be your first red flag. So if you think through, oh, he's not. Of course, they've got to use their training and common sense. But if he's not looking at them or very anxious. That should be a red flag. And so we're trying to provide that education and awareness to make them understand, I've got to approach this situation differently. This person might have a bit of a challenge. And don't ever hesitate to ask, do you have autism? You know, can we, can we talk about that for a moment? And give them time to process that information. We also teach less is best. An example is um, you and I went to Starbucks today and I said, would you like a grande mocha light frappuccino with soy milk? That's a lot of information for anybody. Just say cold drink, hot drink, make it less. So if you can approach that individual with some compassion and understanding of what little you do know, it's a great opportunity to get education on what you can learn. 
Does it sometimes the the these characteristics we're looking for? Because I, I have a lot of sympathy for police pulling someone over. Absolutely. I mean yeah. that that that's, that's a, a job, job I would be incapable yeah. of, of of doing. Do the characteristics sometimes come off as threatening, and the officers having to make that decision, or is there enough of a difference there that it's truly just we need to educate more? Both. Both. Honestly, okay. both. And let me give you an example. When I was speaking about being regimented and scheduled and routine, um, which is hugely common, well, that officer has pulled that individual over. You've gotten him out of his routine. Another red flag. What did you pull me over after being a work at one o'clock? That officer should go, whoa, we got a little problem here. That's when he needs to make that inquiry, sir. Do you have some unique challenges or so there's some differences? Can we talk about this? You know, let's calm down. Let's talk about this. Big red flag. Now, of course, the officer without any education, well, not education, excuse me, not right, right, or awareness may think, okay, he's being very rude and disrespectful. But no, if you knew about autism and some other differences, then you would want to say, okay, sir, ma'am, calm down. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's see how we can help each other. So no, it doesn't always show its its ugly head, if you will, or its you know differences. I like to say, um, but then it could be that they're just not looking, but and they're talking to them, but it's over in this direction. So those are red flags that officers need to be aware of with our young adults, our our children, our college campuses, because autism is now the leading and fastest growing developmental disability in the United States. In December of uh, 2021, the CDC announced one in 44 children are now affected. So it's not going away. Um, there is no cure. There is no, not that we want to cure autism. Some of our most brilliant individuals have autism. Elon Musk right. is on the spectrum. Right. Yes. Um, the maker of Pokemon on the spectrum. Right. Yeah. And so we tell the kids... Wouldn't you like to be friends with him? How cool would that be? He made over 900 characters. But it's just all about awareness and understanding and, and compassion. So on that point, I don't want to change the subject, sure. but just a, a side question. Is autism getting worse in terms of occurrences or is it just now being diagnosed more than back in the day? Because like I was saying earlier, and I don't mean this as a negative, but Eh, that guy's odd. Yeah. We always had odd people, right. you know? Right. I think better awareness and our broader awareness and better diagnosis earlier um, is really kind of bringing it to the forefront now. It's always been around. It's it's always been around. And like you say, um, we just maybe didn't know about it back then when I was young or when you were young. And so it's more, when I started the foundation 11 years ago, I'd never heard of autism, didn't know anything about it. And so it's just now coming into the community, and that's why we work so hard as an organization, nonprofit, to raise awareness because I didn't know what it was 11 years ago, and now I feel like I could go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, not with any, anybody, but a lot of people because I've learned so much education from our parents and the community on what autism is. And so if we keep doing things like this podcast, things um, broadening the awareness in the community to let people know about autism— it's just going to be for the benefit of everyone. So you've given us kind of characteristics to look for. You've given us a couple of pointers in terms of how to handle those situations. Do you have other pointers 
on how to handle someone with autism, maybe not in a roadside, pulled someone over, but maybe you have an employee, something like that. I think you have to be not be afraid to open dialogue. Um, I would take a situation if you did have an an employee with autism and one-on-one, take them to lunch. Hey, I've kind of noticed, you know, you're really uncomfortable and want to be by yourself and not always with the group. Um, Can you share something about that with me? A lot of times they just need somebody to talk to or to hear them before they are aware. They may not always be aware that they're acting or behaving that way. And there's nothing wrong with it. We all like to be alone. But that's also another um, clue, if you will, that you might have some some challenges. If an individual is not very active with the group, is always alone or by themselves, and not saying that's a characteristic of autism, but it could be. But don't ever hesitate to open that dialogue with a person you work with or friends with um, and see how you can help. It may be something as little, well, tomorrow you're going to eat lunch with them. He's still going to be by himself, but, you know, you're going to eat lunch with him to give him some comfort to start getting into those social social situations. So um, I think don't be shy of making that approach. Be confident that you can make a difference in that person's life, even if it's a little one. Gotcha. So let's maybe go back to, to, you know, the delivery room. We have a child, all this. How does autism manifest itself? Because what I've read, and I am wholly uneducated, so I really appreciate you coming on, is that it can potentially happen gradually. It can potentially happen later, you know, two and three years old. What what does that look like? Because I think, you know, we've at least given a little bit of a context of people dealing with folks later in life. Now let's talk to parents. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, early intervention is crucial to um, getting our children to have better life outcomes. But let me give you an example with the triplets. They're the inspiration for Hope for Three, the Montgomery triplets, London, Lakin, and Lauren. Um, the girls, born without complications, doing great, NICU eight days, came home doing fantastic. Well, um, the girls, London, Lake and Lauren, Lakin was our little leader of the group. She was first one to walk, talk, say her ABCs, count, know her color. She was doing incredibly well. At about two and a half, mom, Hope, noticed that Lakin was progressing into her own little world, not wanting to play with her siblings, losing some of her speech, losing some of her eye contact. So she took her to the doctor and the doctors told her, chill out, mom. It's normal for triplets to be a little developmentally delayed. They've got their own little community, their own little language. Well, within three months, she lost all of her speech. She's 16 now, still nonverbal, totally regressed, lost most of her life skills, um, communicates through an iPad today. She can, throws a mean hoop. She's a great athlete, but she will always need some support for the rest of her life. So she was diagnosed, well, let me back up just a little bit. Then about, this was at about two and a half. Within about six to nine months, the other two girls of the triplets, the three girls, were showing the same characteristics. So by the time they were diagnosed, they were now four. First at the time, PDD, NOS, pervasive development disorder, not otherwise specified, then full-blown autism. So although they started out meeting all of their milestones, doing incredibly well, they were diagnosed at about four. 
Well, we missed that window of opportunity to get them early intervention, although it did start at the time, but it was so hard to find therapies and services that insurance would cover that um, two-year wait to get in, in specialized schooling. But there's finding now earlier and earlier some of the characteristics of autism, um, not walking on your toes, um, not uh, no speech at the proper milestones, um, playing alone. Those are some characteristics when they're young. So if a new parent, they know in their gut, I want to tell you, most parents know in their gut, something's a little off with my little one. Don't be afraid of your intuition. You know your child best. And if you know they should be meeting their milestones or they've met this milestone, but not this one, have, have some concern. Talk to your doctor. But we highly, highly recommend that you visit a developmental pediatrician. A pediatrician, and by no means I don't have any education in the medical field, but your pediatrician is not always thoroughly trained on the characteristics of autism are what all of those, I don't like to say symptoms because it's not a disease, but characteristics look like. So we recommend if you do have a concern to visit a developmental pediatrician because they are trained in the field of autism. So my dad is a doctor and uh, he describes himself as a retired country doctor <laughs> and very old school. And the way he describes what you just said is because I was the nightmare parent. I have my oh. first child. I'm calling dad every 20 minutes. Oh. And dad said, here's the key to pediatrics. If you're asking the question, is something wrong with my child? Your child's fine. When you're asking the question, what's wrong with my child? That's when you need to run it to ground. If your doctor says nothing's wrong, go get a second opinion. Because if you're asking what is wrong, just like you said, you know your child you're getting a bad vibe, that's when you need to go run it to ground. Excellent advice. Yeah. Excellent advice. And knowing- Of course, you know what he also did? <laughs> I would like hurt myself and come in, Dad, it really hurts when I do this. He'd say, well, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But- Of course, best being, advice. <laughs> yes. That being said. Yeah. Um, I think our parents have that gut intuition. Just like with Hope, she knew something was wrong. She knew in her gut and she kept trying, but then she also trusted her doctors. Yeah. So you don't know what you don't know. And that's why we work really, really hard at early intervention and early awareness. So you do know those signs and characteristics, but it takes a community to build upon awareness and education. So you do learn those signs. And so I compliment you for allowing us to, to share information today because you don't know what you don't know, all of us. And so if you, as a new parent, I think take that advice of, okay, he's doing this, but not this. Is he rocking back and forth? Is he lining things up? I say he, he or she. It is more common in boys than girls. But if they're lining toys up, if they're totally alone most of the time, walking on your toes, and not all children do the same thing. They say if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Every single person and child is unique and different. And they are diagnosing early on, but we have many adults, 38, had a grandfather, 68, was just diagnosed. And so it's, 
I think individuals would rather have that answer of, at least I got an answer now. Now I can move on. Now I know why I did this or why I didn't do this. And so it's it's things like this and, and groups, hopefully like Hope for Three and other entities throughout our county and our city and our state that can provide that awareness to help our families because it's, there's no, you know, like I said, cause or cure. So it's not going away. It's something we have to adapt to. They shouldn't have to adapt to our ways. Because another thing dad would say, um, advice as well is there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting a second opinion. He, he said, you know, a lot of doctors studied two thirds of the information in school to hope they passed the test. <laughs> so there's a third they never read. Right. Um, but even more importantly, dad says, if your doctor is not supportive of you getting a second opinion, you have the wrong doctor. Exactly. Because the doctor that cares about you, your children, et cetera, is like, hey, here's what I think. You want to talk to somebody else? Let's go find you somebody else and tell me I'll get on the phone with them and tell them what I've observed and stuff. So I tell people that all the time from dad, because I do think there's a reticence on a parent of my doctor just said this. My doctor said this in a dismissive tone of what's wrong with you. And uh, I had uh, I've got three kids and my first child, Charlie, literally at eight months was speaking. Mm-hmm. At a year old, sentences. Oh my goodness. 18 months, full on paragraphs. Couldn't get her wow. to shut up. I mean, just <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So when when our daughter Sarah, the middle child, was 18 months and was barely speaking a sentence, we were at the pediatrician, you know, every day. Oh my God, what's wrong? What's wrong? Not speaking. And and Dr. Bird was incredibly patient with us. Dr. Bird was like in a very nice way saying, Charlie's a freak. <laughs> that, do, that doesn't happen. Yeah. We're not going to compare to Charlie. We're going to compare over yeah. here. But but Dr. Bird was very patient and wonderful with us in terms of coaching us through it. So if right. your doctor is not like that, doesn't mean they're a bad doctor. Right. And and I always say time and time again, I want the doctor that's really good. I don't care about the bedside manner. They can be a jerk, yeah. whatever. But if they're not supportive, you should do something. Nobody knows your child better than you. Exactly. And if you have those cares and concerns and they don't take them seriously, I agree 100%. You need to move on and find that person who will align with you and your beliefs and take every concern that you have as a major concern. Because you're living with that child 24-7. You know, you know that baby better than anybody. So I, yeah, it's got to be. So, So early detection's important. Can we really change future trajectories? (laughs) Absolutely. 100%. What's some of the stuff we can do there? We've got um, a couple of stories, let me tell you about, that I'm so extremely proud of. Um, We have a young man who, and I know mom wouldn't wouldn't mind me sharing, his name is Augie, and he just graduated and was accepted into Texas A&M's autism program. But at the age of seven, well, started at three, they said he would never walk. He would never talk. He, you know, might as well consider institution. Well, mom's a teacher. And so you don't tell a teacher, no, that (laughs) your child can't do this. So her, along with the education system, worked with this child. Accommodations were made. um, And not to get off topic, that's a big part of what people don't know is their rights in the public school system. And I'm a 
love public school system, but they're not always going to provide or give you that information. You've got to explore and investigate. You have to be your child's own best advocate. But well, give me give me just one or two things there. So if folks are thinking sure. this through, what 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 generally speaking are they entitled to in the public system? Well, an advocate. Okay. They are entitled to to accommodations, and you do not have to accept in your ARD meetings, which are parents and the and the the school systems working together to create what we an IEP, an individual education plan for your child. You do not have to accept what they've said. You can leave that meeting without signing, which I'm not saying that's the right or wrong thing to do, but if you have enough education and understanding and they're still telling you no, then you ask for another ARD meeting and you don't sign anything. And get some advice that either um, we can connect you with that advice. We provide resources and referrals. We don't provide a direct service, but if you need to talk to somebody as an advocate or need um, an educator to support you with some information so you do make the right decisions on the behalf of your child, find people like Hope for Three, Navigate Texas, Autism Society that can connect you with resources to help you with that process. Those are your rights. And most parents don't know that. They think whatever the, the school system says, I have to go with. And I'm not against the school system. We work very closely. They allow us to come in and educate students and kids and counselors. So I'm 100%. But it's our parents' lack of education that they don't know, and they're not always going to be offered it. So you've got to have enough. Well, there's got to be, and I hate to say this because no one's ashamed of their kids, but there's got to be shame as well oh. in terms of, you know, are you actually going to go out and advocate? Are you going to go fight the system and, and well, all that? Well, and there's a lot, I hate to say, a lot of cultural, not my kid, not my, you know, yeah. a lot of cultural instances and all across the ethnic groups, not just one, but you've got our athletes, not my kid. Uh, -uh I'm a runner. I'm a track star. I'm a, you know, I'm one of those guys that went to the Olympics, not my kid. And this is a true story. And he, two years was in denial and finally saw everything his wife was doing. And he finally said, I got to get on board. That is my kid. Yeah. I've got to advocate. I've got to do what's in his best interest. Maybe he's not going to be a lawyer. Maybe he's not going to be a track star, but he can darn sure contribute to society in some form or fashion. Yeah. All they need is the opportunity. We have a young man right now has major degrees, went to college for five years. Um, he's quirky, brilliant brain. Can't get a job because he can't get past the interview process. They want and need the same things we all want. They want to work. They want to make their own money, but they don't have those windows of opportunity that you and I have because they're judged by their quirkiness, by their lack of social um, cues, not being able to maybe answer in instantly because I've got to process what you just asked me. So there has to be more understanding and acceptance because there's so many bright, brilliant minds out there that could do such a great job. As we were saying earlier, they're routine, scheduled. So they're great data entry people, great jobs that do you repetitive over and over, diligent. I mean, loyal. I just, it breaks my heart sometimes to think that they're not provided the same opportunity as my child and your child. And my children are grown. But it's it's sad. It's sad. Community is so judgmental. 
Well, and the other thing too, as we as a society are sitting here begging people to come work, you hate the fact that we've set up interviews, whatever the case may be, where we can't tap untapped potential. Absolutely. And that's like this young man. He wants to be um, some field of paleontologist, and he can't even get into a museum or a study, a field of study because of his autism. And it's just, you know, you just want to wring somebody's neck and go, you know, just listen, just give him a chance. And, um, you know, his parents advocate for him strongly. He has had a few jobs now, but it's not in the field that he wants to be in. And that's not fair. That's not fair. So I hope that people are aware, you know, I told my kids when they were little, wouldn't the world be a boring place if we were all the same? And so we've got these brilliant minds and brilliant people. And I go back to Elon, obviously, you know, what a shame if we wouldn't allow them to be different and explore their capabilities because they can, they've got great minds and creative minds and um, they just need a chance, need a door open. Because it almost sounds like what you're saying to me, and I'm, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm very uneducated on autism, but it sounds like it has nothing to do with intelligence. It's an information, it's sensory perception, it's processing information in a different way. You but- are very right. There is um, a young lady. I show a video about her. Her name is Carly Fleischman. She lives in Canada, but her parents didn't know. You know, they did know when she was young that she had autism. But she's nonverbal, but she understood everything. She went to college. She's written two novels. She's been on this talk show circuit, and she communicates through an iPad. So we, as we learn and grow as a community and as a world, and understand that if just because I can't speak doesn't mean I don't understand you. You need to understand me and work with me the way that I need to be helped to survive in this country, in this world. And so because they are non or can be nonverbal or maybe not as um, giving the same cues as you, you and I sitting here talking, they still have that huge realm of intelligence. Absolutely. And so how can we educate to make others aware that they do have that intelligence? They are going to make a great employer. We just had two, I don't know, it was all over the news, and I can't even think of what state. We had two or three instances of nonverbal autistic individuals that were valedictorian that gave the speech through um, different means that was not verbal. Just because you can't talk, there's other forms of communication. So language is not your only form. Oh, that's interesting. So something else I've, I've read about autism is it usually doesn't reside alone. So there's always something potentially else with it. And, you know, I think a lot of the reason Colin handled that situation really well, and I say this with love towards yeah. Colin, he's got more ADD than anyone I've ever <laughs> met in my life. I yeah. mean, I, I, yeah. can't, I can't keep up with him, but there's usually something else. Is that true? That is true. It is very, very common, not always, but that they have what they call a comorbid uh, dual diagnosis, that they have potentially autism and OCD, um, autism, ADHD, autism, ADD. Yes, that is common, and but not always, not in all cases, but it is very common for them to have a dual diagnosis, yes. 
because yeah, ADD, I, I, uh, I have, I have a child that has ADD, and so I've actually learned uh, a lot about it. Is you think it's scatterbrained? It's actually the overfocus on something. You just have a tendency to 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 focus Hyper, too much yeah. Yeah. on something, which is a phenomenal benefit for certain situations. I mean, when Absolutely. it comes to the creative. Um, when it comes to the, one of the greatest trial lawyers on the planet is incredibly ADD and it's because he can go in and focus on a case and know every fact about it to the exclusion of literally, did he eat that morning? Right. You know? Right. No. And that also we say is one of the characteristics is being a little obsessed with something. So it could be a book, a piece of clothing, an animal. Um, we have a young man who went to Wharton Junior College for two years. He's now at U of H. He's on the spectrum. He's obsessed with elevators. He knows every button, make, model. I mean, you name it, and boy, he can tell you. So when I go places, I'll take pictures, and I'll say, okay, Jim. Oh, Miss Farmer, that was the 1892 model, and it blah, 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 the name you name. So it's very common. Otis. Otis <laughs> Elevators, <laughs> what are go. you doing? This is your guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. He would make a great, great employee. But it's very common, um, even when we do talk to our police officers, if you do have a 24-year-old hanging on, got a beaky on his shoulder, that's his obsession. His blanket when he was a kid. Might have a teddy bear, too. So what? (laughs) So, yes, it is very common for um, our our individuals with autism to be hyper-focused or something or, again, want that routine, that schedule. And so they would make great employees. But they just need that door open. They just need a chance. So um, hope that happens in the future. Yeah. So tell me about Hope for Three. Sure. Uh, tell me about founding it. Tell me about what it does. Tell me how folks reach you. Sure. All that good stuff. Sure. Well, um, 2010, we found out a dear friend of ours was pregnant with what we thought was twins. She was working at Child Advocates of Fort Bend as a PR. Ah. And, yeah. By the way, quick plug for sure. Child Advocates in Fort Bend County. I don't directly know this, but people I trust have told me this, that they are actually the model child advocates group in the nation. And basically what child advocates does, and correct me if I'm wrong, is they go into the court system, find kids that don't have advocates and say, I'm your guy. You got it. Yeah. They're the voice for the children. It's called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocate. And... um, the CEO of Ruth Ann Mefford is phenomenal. Oh, she, she's amazing. She has done great things for the kids in our community, in our county, in Fort Bend County. And it's, I emulate some of the things they do strictly because I admire. I was a volunteer there for 17 years. So I love them. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that was my stomping grounds and where I got a lot of my nonprofit education. Um, so that's where Hope was so, working. So uh-huh. I met Ruth and um, let's call it Rosenberg Women's Garden Club. Uh, yeah. My mom's a member. Uh-huh. And she came to my mom and said, I need your son's house on the house tour because that's their big that's their big fundraiser. My house was on the tour. <laughs> yes. And uh, anyway, and so I'm I'm a little careful. And so mom brought that up and I said, OK. And it turns out the Episcopal Diocese mm-hmm. has given a lot of money to child advocates. And um, anyway, I called my priest, Patrick, uh-huh. and I said, hey, Patrick, the Episcopal Diocese given a lot of money to child advocates. They want to put my house on the tour. Is that okay? And Patrick, without missing a beat, goes, you will go to hell unless you don't do that. 
I'm like, really? It's hilarious. I thought you went straight to hell. And he goes, yes, I'm playing the devil card right now on you. That's funny. <laughs> 10 minutes later, I'm calling Ruth Ann. Yes, you can have my so house. Do you live in Fort Bend County? I do. I did not know that. Oh, I'm on 9th Street. Uh, oh my in heaven, Richmond. you're in the heart of Richmond. I'm in the old Richmond house. You know the the house oh that gosh. has the lighted balls out in front? Oh, is That's, that you? <laughs> oh my god. You know my house? I do know your house. Well, the lighted balls allow any kind of joke to be told oh. at any hour of the night. But <laughs> need we digress? So, okay, sorry, so sorry. We're, so we're off we're off child advocates. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's phenomenal it's amazing. group. Yeah. Phenomenal group. They do great. So work you're in the you're a volunteer working with them I and am. okay. I'm a volunteer. Hope is working with child advocates. And so when she got pregnant, we were so excited because she wasn't even trying to get pregnant. She had a four year old little boy, Colin. And when she got pregnant, she was pregnant with twins. So we were all just, you know, thrilled to death. All the ladies in the community got together, started planning a shower. We'd called them Princess A and B. Well, right before the shower, we find Princess C. She was hiding. So she was pregnant with um, identical African-American, obviously triplets, and the odds are one in 200 million. So they were a little special before they even got here. But I was um, at the hospital when they were born, along with a few other friends. And they were actually born on the anniversary of my mother's passing. So I say oh God gosh. took one angel and gave us three back. Oh, my gosh. But um, they were born without any complications. Hope delivered them, you know, just fine. And they were doing quite well in NICU, little jaundice, for about eight days. Came home doing exceptionally well. Well, we all got together, um, ladies in the community, and we helped set we set schedules and tried to help them with bottle feeding, diaper changing, so forth. And so that was going well. Well, after a while, everybody's got to kind of take home, you know, take care of your own family. So they wander away. But I empty nest at the time, and you know, was in good health. So I just decided um, to stay in help and stayed a committed helper and good friend to the family. And so at about two and a half, as I was sharing earlier about Lakin. That's when Hope noticed that she was kind of regressing. She was our leader and she was kind of regressing and, you know, showing some characteristics. But we didn't know at the time about autism. Right. So when she took her to the doctors, got the diagnosis, um, well, got the diagnosis later. And then the other two girls started showing the same characteristics. And by the time they were four, they were all three diagnosed, first with PDD, NOS, and then with autism. Well, what I watched this family go through was short of horrific. They almost lost their home, their car. We couldn't get um, therapies and services that were covered by insurance. A lot of times insurance looks at it as a social disorder and not a medical necessity. And um, two years, again, two-year wait to get in specialized school. So I said, Hope was looking for resources, just anything she could to help the girls. Couldn't find anything. And so I said, okay, let me help. Let me see what I can do. I couldn't find anything. And I now I'm just getting, you know, my feet wet in the world of the autism community. So my husband and I have always been entrepreneurs. Um, we called Hope and Eric over to our house. We sat at my kitchen table and I said, Hope, well, we both, all our four of us said, Hope, let us create this nonprofit, her and Eric, her husband, let us create this nonprofit to help your family and families like yours. So after we all shed a few little tears, um, you know, it took a lot for them to commit to let us do that because they're very proud, private, hardworking people, and they got it. They've got this. We can take care of our own. You cannot take care of three, four children, but three with special needs in the same household, much less triplets. So um, 
I think they finally realized that we can't do this alone. It does take, you know, a community. So we had some names already picked out and we came up with Hope for Three was the choice. Well, we had to backtrack a little bit because in Texas, if you have the same word, I believe, I don't know if I have everything correct, you have to contact that other company who has that. So there was a company out of Dallas called Hope something. I don't even remember. It's been so long. I had to get permission from her to have Hope for Three. She said, okay, no problem. Well, she never followed through with it. So I can't, so we came up with Blessed Be Hope for Three is our official legal name, but we go as Hope for Three. And then we have a DBA as Hope for Three Autism Advocates. So we started 2011. So we're going into our 11th year this year. And we started out kind of as a resource hub because we recognized there was a gap in trying to find, identify service providers, um, another parent to talk to. So we started out as a resource hub. So where we are today, anybody from anywhere can contact us and need a doctor, a therapist, recommendation for a school. I'm moving in from California. Where's a good neighborhood? Um, So we provide resources, referrals, and support to anybody anywhere out of the country, out of the state, not just local. But we will connect you with that resource. The financial component of what we will, of what we do, um, the cost of care for one child for one year for one child to receive ser- therapies and services is sixty thousand dollars a year. The lifetime cost of care is two point four million. How do you do that with three kids? Much less. I mean, one, but three. So we realized that well, there was also a big gap in helping financially helping our families. So we created a program. It's called Family Assistance and Resource Support. The financial component of that program is family assistance. Families, well, families, qualified families in Fort Bend County only can come to us and apply through a pretty rigorous application process for financial aid. We will provide financial aid for almost any autism-related need. We never give money to a parent or a caregiver, but to an approved service provider, treatment facility, or vendor. And our 10-year goal was to give away a million dollars. We did it in nine. And today we're at about one and a half million dollars that we've awarded to local families. So very honored by that we have that privilege to do that. But those are our two main programs where we started out in 2011. From there, we ventured off into the public school systems and we created a program called It's Cool to Care. We go and we educate nurses, students from from pre-K up till 12 but um, counselors, nurses, students, um, educators on the characteristics of um, autism. But we basically go in and educate and empower young people about other young people with unique differences, which is autism. That also encompasses an anti-bullying campaign. And we've, gosh, probably 16,000, 17,000, you know, students so far. And we do that all over the greater Houston area. Love that program because the kids are just so, when, you know, you get stories like, oh, is that why my brother does that? Oh, okay, now I get it. Oh, I didn't know why he made those animal sounds. So it's just a fun little program that really opens our kiddos' eyes to why people are different. And from there, we created a teen huddle. We have a core group of of about 25 teen volunteers who um, host two programs, Parents Time Out and Sibling Sessions. Parents Time Out, parents get to bring us all their kiddos, kids with autism, kids without autism. We have the honor and privilege of keeping them for three hours. We partner with local churches, and um, parents get to go what we think is a hot date night. No, they're resting, sleeping, buying groceries. They used to, yeah. My ex-wife, we always had the joke of, what do you want to do on date night? 
let's go check into a hotel yeah. and go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what we try and encourage that, but we find out what they're showering. You know, they're right. doing things that they couldn't do. And so um, the other component is sibling sessions. The two young individuals that came to me and said, can we do this teen program? One was a young lady who attended our first um, luncheon. And when she figured out how much it cost to raise a kid with autism, she said, can we, can we do something for teens and for families? I just want to give back. Um, Kirsten Overgaard Davis, now she's married. And then Joseph Buckle, he lived in a family with three sisters. One of the girls had autism. He knew the sacrifices his sisters had to make because of a special needs sibling in the family. So he wanted to do something for siblings. So we came together um, with their parents and those two young individuals at the time, I think they were 14 and 15, created the teen huddle. But with the sibling sessions, teens from neurotypical teens are partnered with the sibling in the family, not the child with autism, but the sibling. And every other month for the duration of a school year, they have a teen mentor. And we try and go fly kites, go to the movies, go to the trampoline park, just so they have a day to feel special. As, as you might imagine, unintentionally, our siblings might get put on the back burner because a special needs child does need so much attention. So we give them a day to feel special. Some of our teens who started this program are still in contact with their buddies. And this has been, what, eight years ago? Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's my favorite program, all, all that we do. Um, matter of fact, just the young lady who is the teen leader now, her buddy, Courtney, who is married, lives in another state, is OT now. They still talk. They still talk. It's just it's just a beautiful kind of little romance and brotherhood or sisterhood, I guess, if you will. But, um, oh, gosh, from the teen huddle, and it's cool to care. Then we started at CIT, Crisis Intervention Training. That's where we work with primarily Fort Bend County is our primary partner. But we go in once a month for the CIT sessions, and we educate law enforcement on the characteristics of a, of um, autism and engagement strategies. We now go to state, I guess, for the last five or six years and law enforcement from all over the state of Texas. We also provide that same education and awareness to them. That grew into a little program called Police Traffic Stops and Positive Driver Outcomes. That is the coolest program. We partner with different police departments and we hold a little session of about 30-minute classroom time. It's a class of 10, and these are drivers that are on the spectrum. 14 of coming of age to drive are either currently driving. I think our oldest attendee has been 46. But we have a, like a little 30-minute classroom session with the police officers, really kind of get that comfort level and just kind of teach rules of the road, safety, cautions, and things like that. Then we go outside and actually have a vehicle with a police car behind it, and we emulate traffic stops. Some of our kiddos will never drive, but they still get that same opportunity as another teen would to have that safety driver course. And is that kind of two-way street? The Absolutely. kids are losing, learning, the officers are learning. I kid you not, every session we've held, the officers are like, that was more impactful for me than it was the kids. They recognize and realize, number one, they're rule followers. So their hands are on and they're, you know, they're not going to move. They're not going to do anything until that officer tells them to. So they get that insight into autism because a lot of our kids do drive and young adults, you know, still driving or on the road. So it's providing so much awareness to them or what of artistic of what are in autistic individuals, you know, how they might react inevitably when that we do the sirens. And it's only for a second because you've got half your kids doing this and they're like, I never do. 
You know, they recognize, okay, they're following every instruction, but they might not be looking at that officer. Right. So what we tell the officers are give them step-by-step instructions. We call it a task analysis. You and I know when we get up in the morning, we got to put our socks on, our underwear, and our pants on. If you can tell an individual with autism exactly what you want in the order that you want it, you're going to get a better outcome. Sir, could you take out your license out of your billfold and hand it to me? Thank you. Now you've got their first name. They're going to respond to their first name better there than they are going to Mr. Mrs. Farmer because less is best, remember. Now I'd like you to reach into your glove box and give me your insurance. Give them time to process that. So they recognize and see that. So it's really been an eye-opener for our members of law enforcement as well. And just, I, I love I love all the programs, but I like those. <laughs> um, gosh, we do parent empowerment. We, once a month, a BCBA is a board-certified behavior analyst. They're at the top of the food chain of our therapists. We offer weekly sessions four times a, um, four times a month, yes, free of charge. Our BCBA comes in. And it's all Zoom right now, of course, which is more convenient for our families. But she gives tips, tra- uh, strategies, and techniques free of charge. Hope for three pays for it, but it's free to our caregivers and parents. We allow enough time if they have a situation, a matter, um, that they can discuss it as a group. And so you've got that peer-to-peer support, but you've also got a BCBA to give that support. And so it's really been a successful program. We've been doing about a year and a half, and we've now made it mandatory for our parents and our caregivers to attend these sessions because our parents don't know what they don't know either. You're already overwhelmed with a special needs child. How do I have time to research and study and be that voice, be that advocate for my child? So we get to do that. We get to help them along that journey. So we have, um, we don't like to call them support groups, but we, we call them gatherings, but we have gatherings for our guys. Um, they meet once a month in the evening and our first, when we started in 2018, um, our first 90 days, we had over 60 dads come out to meet. And it's just a peer-to-peer. We provide bites and beverages, and they just network. And you just learn from other dads. It is okay. You know, it is okay. But they share stories and just camaraderie and friendship. You know, I was talking to, I had a podcast, uh, I think two months ago with a fellow who had gone through a really tough time during COVID and he's a good friend and a very prominent energy executive. And we talked about that seriously, despite uh, where it's gone in popular culture, just the words me too are two of the most powerful words on the planet because you sit there and you feel shame, you feel whatever, and it's blah, 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 blah. Hey, man, me too, you know? Yeah. And so getting 60 guys together, because we're not good at that. Yeah. I mean, no. our, our inclination is to be quiet and go solve something. I got this. Alone, yeah. yes. I got this. And this so is being my able family. to provide that forum. And I actually like the fact that, hey, you've got to come. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You may sit there in the corner and not say anything, but you've got to come. Exactly. And it's the feedback we get from our guys is – not only what well, it's been a lot of I didn't know anybody else experienced the same thing I did. I didn't know that other people had the same problems I did. And yeah, little Johnny still go to the bathroom. He's nine. You know, he's got to wear a diaper at night. I didn't know anybody else did that. I didn't. I was ashamed. Yeah. And so it's been very helpful to our dads that um, 
have young adults on the spectrum to help educate our new dads. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You know, it just might not be the same journey that you expected, but it's going to be a good journey. Yeah. So it's it's been a great moral support for our dads. It's just. And, and what I will say to my people, my species, males, <laughs> and we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, is shame hates words. Yeah. I mean, you want to get rid of shame. Unfortunately, the only way you can do that is to talk about it. Absolutely. And to talk about it with others. I mean, it's the only way. And it and, sucks because we're not wired that way. No, you're not. But, and I hate to say it, but no, you're yeah, not. Yeah, really and not. It's given them a comfort place of no judgment. And I think, uh, I'm going to cry here. Uh, some of our dads have just, they're different religions, they're different cultures. And to see them all come together, I don't care what color, what religion, what culture, but to see them come together and provide that support outside of that meeting has been just phenomenal. We have a couple of pastors, and I mean, they're not there to teach anything or preach anything, but good moral support. But some of our Muslim families have now gone over to visit this Christian church and just outside of the autism world. And so there's been such beautiful friendships that have developed because of autism. I mean, the the thing that's crazy to me is when you look at the world's religions, and I'll get these numbers all wrong and probably booger this up, but I mean, 80% of the world's religions are two sons of Abraham that yeah, got into a yeah, fight. I yeah, mean, yeah, I know, come on, really. guys. We're talking about a family feud here. Exactly. I mean, how far apart are we really exactly. on, all of the, on all this stuff? And but, so, that, but I think it's just a reinforcement of we really all are all kind of the same. Just don't be shy about my kid's not the A student. My kid might not ever play football. But he gives one hell of a hug. Yeah. You know? Well, you just want them happy. You want them happy Absolutely. and you want them to find a passion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love live music. Um, couldn't play an instrument. If you, like, <laughs> paid me a million dollars, I can play Jump by Van Halen on the piano, and that's it. And I don't even You're do that You're telling off on your well. age now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, um, but, you know, my oldest child, musician... And we'll literally sit up for 36 straight hours, come downstairs and say, hey, dad, listen to this beat I wrote. And I think the beat kind of sucks. I don't (laughs) understand. I'm like, well, whatever. (laughs) Sounds like garbage to me. But just the passion you see of I created this, I did that. That's what you want. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. The preconceived notions that parents have of they need to go be quarterback of the football team. Who cares? What, what, what? We need plumbers. (laughs) We need electricians. Not everybody's cut out for college. I'm, I'm, I don't mean that education or to slight education in the least, but you've got to have your tradesmen. You've got to have your door greeters. You've got to have individuals who can punch holes in a perfect alignment. You know, there's other crafts besides a college university and some of our kids aren't going to make it to college and that's okay. Well, and, and you're Fort Bend County, so you'll appreciate this. My dad's always said, Hey, if you're the best at what you do, you will be very well compensated in this world. And the richest person down in Fort Bend County for the longest time built fences. Exactly. I mean, Mr. Kasurik built the best fences exactly. on the planet. Exactly. And they got a big old freaking house. I, I, know, I, mean, you know, so, I know yeah. it. I yeah. know. And so, um, I really, really hope people just take to heart that 
We're all a little quirky. I think we all have a little bit of autism, if you want to know the truth. I'm a poster yeah. boy, so yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I get that. I used that. to iron sheets, so I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just hope if you just give a little bit of compassion and understanding and take a step back and give them a moment, lend a hand, lend an ear, especially for our parents and our caregivers. They're not going to, and especially our male figures, share with you how hard it truly is because they got this. They're proud, just like Hope and Eric at the time. Very, very hardworking, proud individuals. and proud. You can't do it. It takes a community. It takes a village. And we can be that village, but you got to want to. And so I think, you know, by us keeping Hope for Three out in the community, raising awareness, um, talking to people like you today is just going to further not only our mission, but individuals who really care. Yeah. And I just. No, it is. I mean, the, the research shows the pressure point for a man is our ability to fix things. And when we can't, that's when we feel shame. Exactly. That's when we withdraw. So we can't do that. And in situations, instead of getting angry, let's get curious. Excellent. Exactly. Advice. So how do people reach Hope for Three? Website, social media, sure. how do we do that? We're on all avenues of social media. Um, it is Hope for Three on Facebook. And then our website is hopefor3.org, O-R-G. Phone number is 281-245-0640. Um, email, contact at Hope for Three, all spelled out. Uh, contact at hope for three um, dot com and it's three t h r e e and okay. the four is f o r okay so yeah it's hope and then f o r and then three spelled out yeah okay so we are we've got a staff a dedicated phenomenal staff of ten now we've got four part time people six part time excuse me four full time people six part time we will answer you if we don't answer you the day you contact us it will be within twenty four hours um. We've got several of our staff members who are parents of, of autistic children, and they live and breathe this mission every day. And so they are eager to lend support, lend an ear. And our family assistance director, Rowena, is just phenomenal. Never met anyone more compassionate. And she's got two boys on the spectrum. So uh, would love to help in any way we do get out in the community as much as possible, let people know who we are, what we do, and how we do help. And we can always use donations as well. <laughs> That's what keeps us going. But um, doesn't always have to be the mighty dollar. Your time, your volunteerism, your skill set, we welcome those always, always. Well, you're doing great work, and I appreciate you coming in and talking with us. I appreciate you having me. It's, it's an opportunity that we're honored to, to be here. So thank you very much.